Welcome to Texans Unfiltered. And here we go, here we go! A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. Alright guys, welcome back to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. Uh, I am young Ari Gold, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, as always, John Wade, the Garnet Texan. Uh, Texans Unfiltered is brought to you by Run Game Clothing. Go to RunGameClothing.com. Use promo code UNFILTERED for 15% off your order. Uh, RunGameClothing.com. Run Game Clothing does all of your Houston team apparel and swag. They even have the new um, hater camera shirt for the Astros. That was pretty cool that they came out with recently. Uh, so make sure you guys go to RunGameClothing.com uh, and use promo code UNFILTERED. John, um, so we've had a couple days to let this kind of sink in. And um, we were there. It's a great game. One of the games. I'm so that, glad we were there. <laughs> so glad we were there. Um, so glad. What are your instant reactions? You know, like what, like. What were you feeling at the moment that the clock struck zero? Um, and yeah, like just just how are you feeling now? Um, happiness, okay. joy, disbelief. Yeah. Like, did that really just happen? Did we really just beat both the Patriots and the Chiefs in the same year? Yeah. And not just beat the Patriots, we beat the Patriots. Um, kind of a little bit. There's always that little bit of frustration because we actually went out there and, I mean, Sunday night was the team that Bill O'Brien and Rack have been trying to put together since they got here. We played the exact same style of football as the Patriots did with the added advantage of having Deshaun Watson, who's just, you know, Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, I mean, I'm on cloud nine. I'm still on cloud nine. And this has instantly made this season, in my opinion, a lot more of a success because, you know, we beat both the Patriots and the Chiefs. Yeah, it um, it definitely feels different, right? Uh, definitely feels different um, coming off the Baltimore loss, um, which was pretty embarrassing to really, no matter how you cut it, team just look unprepared. Um just didn't look like they can hang with the top teams in the AFC, you know, and even with the Chiefs. Um, I, I, I didn't, like, discredit the win. You know, I know Mahomes was a little hurt. Um, I think Tyreek Hill got hurt a little bit, missed some snaps. Uh, I don't really remember too much, but it just their defense is awful. So, but we beat them, right? And, and then, you know, this game, uh, what a game. I mean, really, the score does not indicate how much of a beatdown this game actually was, which I think is the part that, you know, I kind of told you that before, as we were leaving, what the ringer would do, what around the NFL would do, you know, they spent about 30 seconds about the win. This is what we, you know, expect to see from the Texans, and then boom, it's, you know, the Patriots, you know, need wide receivers, they need help, you know, just... Basically, everything else was spent on on the Patriots. And uh, when you turn on ESPN or or FS1, I mean, even Colin Cowherd, who I expected because he loves Deshaun Watson so much, um, really didn't spend much time on it. He actually took the exact same route, talking about how 
Brady is not surrounded by weapons. Um, but from a fan perspective, right, and that's who we cater to and that's who we're here for. From a fan's perspective, I told everybody that it would take a Colts win and a Patriots win for me to be back on the B.O.B. bandwagon. And I may have lied because I'm not. <laughs> You're moving the goalposts here. Yeah, I am. I, I, I might it's not just be. Like, it's one of those where, you know what, they can't win any more convincingly than they did against the Patriots. Yes. And against the Colts, I mean, they grinded out a game that in past seasons we definitely, definitely would have lost. Correct. So at this point, like, you, it's not even fair to move the goalposts. We said from the beginning of the year that we're not winning the Super Bowl. That does not mean that we cannot be happy with how this season is shaping, shaping out to be, and we can't be happy of the product of the team that they've put out there. I mean, essentially, there is one huge black mark um, with this, this team this year, and there is one huge loss. So two really bad things have happened to us this year. Now, there's been a couple of frustrating losses. I get that, but one bad, bad loss... And I'm not even calling the Ravens the bad, bad loss. They just destroy everybody. I don't know how. How Can we curse? I can't remember yeah, anymore. Yeah, I don't know why you ask me yeah, every week. Because I can't remember because I feel like I'm going to get yelled at one way or the next. I still cannot, for the, for the life of me, figure out how the fuck we lost to Carolina. And that, to me, is the one that's going to just bother me all year. Like, every the other three losses I get. But Carolina, seriously, Carolina... They just fired their head coach. It was Kyle Allen. Like I, I mean, we we trust Jordan Palmer that he said that he's going to be a good quarterback and he's been all right. But it's yeah, that one that one still bothers me. But other than that, and the trade that we don't talk about anymore, mm. like we've really had a season that exceeds expectations. <laughs> we really have. And I disagree. Yes, I, I, you know, maybe. I, it's just trying to keep it relative. Like, I've wanted for our next step for us to start to look to be Super Bowl contenders. But now we are, at least we've moved up to, we are one of the top four teams in the AFC. We've got the lowest floor of any of the top four teams. But I've got we've got a ceiling that is right up there with any of them. Hmm. And for me, that's a win because we haven't had that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with everything you're saying, and and we kind of talked about it and and on the way out, and um, you know I, I I wasn't necessarily a Debbie Downer, but I was trying to be a little bit more realistic. You were definitely like super excited, had your fan hat on, like <laughs> you 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 were as giddy as as a schoolgirl getting her first kiss in middle school. But damn straight, uh, I was. We you were Tom you were. Brady and the Patriots. Like, but this is what this is on Sunday night. Like, agreed. And we agreed. actually went to the game. Agreed. I mean, all those factors. Like, this is yeah, the first game yeah. I've gotten to go to in two years. And you know, we threw it together last minute. We drove up there, and it was a great day and a great game, and we won. And hell yeah. 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 You so know, no, no, nobody takes away my joy from this right now. Yeah. So that, like, all that I agree with. But then, as the clock hit zero. What, what Nothing hit, matters that what you say before the butt. I said what, not butt. <laughs> okay. But, uh, <laughs> what, uh, what hit me at as the clock struck zero was that this is the team I expected to see from the beginning of the season. Like, this, this offense, these pieces, 
Uh, obviously, the one piece I did not expect to see was the secondary look the way that it did. We'll get to we'll get to that. Um, but uh, you know, when you have four at quarterback and you have the weapons around him, you know, this was what I expected to see as we came out the gate. And we we've seen it, you know, up and down, up and down. You know, we'll see it one week, we'll see it one, you know, see it against New Orleans, and we don't see it for three weeks. Then we see it against Kansas City, then we don't see it for three weeks. Then we see it against Atlanta, then we don't see it for three weeks. So, uh, you know. And I think that's the part that bothered me the most was just the fact that, you know, my expectation was that this should have been the game we won. Uh, we should have won other games, too. Um, and I think that's the part that bothers me the most is that any given Sunday we still don't really understand or know who we're who we are, who, who we're going to be. Now, maybe, and we'll get into this later, maybe this is that, 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 that turn. Maybe this is that... Maybe we're running. We're, we're, what is it? Wrapping around that corner, and we're starting to hit, you know, full throttle. And maybe this is who we are. And I think that that, that there's definitely a, a piece to that. Um, the biggest thing that I took away from the win on Sunday was just the fact that, you know, Bill O'Brien uh, was able to beat Bill Belichick. I, I think that's a big piece. But I think mentally for Bill O'Brien, I wonder if this is like uh, one of those things like. He'll be able to pull, like, maybe he had, like, a little, you know, what, what does Iron Man have in his chest from, uh, from like, the the grenades that, like, the metal for shrapnel? The shrapnel? It's like Bill O'Brien will be able to pull the shrapnel from his brain of the Patriots now and just look forward because he was able to do something that he has not done in, in five years. And is this going to be the, the game where we look to and say, this is where Bill O'Brien realized what he needed to do to get this team to the next level. And I do think that that is – I think there's a case to be made that this could be that game. Um, but it doesn't excuse the inconsistencies that we've seen throughout the year. It was a great game. I had so much fun. I'm so glad we were there. Um, the trip was long. It was tiring. I, don't even, I think we made a word to each other on the way home except for – I need Whataburger, but outside of that, like, <laughs> I don't think anything else was really said. Yeah, um, our texts and roots, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, always say Whataburger. Can't talk. Whataburger. Yeah. So three hours we didn't talk, but we mentioned Whataburger. But, uh, you know, we ran into a couple of listeners while we were there, met up with Brooke while we uh, were at Twin Peaks. Um, and, yeah, so it was just a great day. And it was a great win. And it was a very convincing win. And, uh, like I said, from the beginning – we started to dominate. It's still, you know, three drives in the first quarter couldn't turn into points. Uh, but then, you know, that one guy, what's his name? He's number 21. He's a cornerback. There was this uh, podcast host that was saying that he's going to be a star. He's a really good corner. Just watch and wait until this season. Uh, Brad, Brad, Bradley Roby. That's right, Bradley Roby. He's a pretty smart podcast host. And uh, he sparked it. And that that was the turning point of the game. That was that was where it all started. Um, and from that point on, we never took our foot off their necks. Yeah, I mean, if you look at time of possession and yards, this was one of those games where it was incredibly misleading. Our defense just kept the Patriots in a hole the entire game. And I mean, Roby, you were right. Like I thought you were just overhyping him. I'm like, hey, if we get an above average corner, we'll be we'll be happy. And he's he's. He's been an absolute player, and James called that, and I still can't believe he called that because of Madden. 
That's a freaking Madden you call that Roby's going to be a star, and he actually has been when he's been healthy. And who would have thought that this team – if I, we had told you that our defense – would go out and absolutely dominate the Patriots without J.J. Watt at the beginning of the year. <laughs> what would you have said? I mean, you wouldn't have believed me, first off. And you wouldn't be doing any of this Debbie Downer stuff. You would probably hug and kiss me right then and there before you even saw the game. Yeah, no, I mean, um, it, it was a great game. It really was a great game. Uh, in every facet, Sputnik was super drunk, which was fan, fun to watch. Um, yeah, okay, so it was a great game. We had a great time. I'm glad we got to go. Um, let's let's get into the meats and potatoes of this podcast. Uh, so let's start with the offense. Um, you know, I have to say that Bill O'Brien pretty much deserves most of the credit for this win, John. Um, from a game plan perspective on offense, I don't know if there could have been a better game plan. Honestly, whomever convinced Deshaun Watson to throw it to Duke Johnson gets all the credit. If that's Bill O'Brien, if that's... Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly. I was trying to think of the name of, uh, of Spud, uh, who, the quarterback coach. Carl um, Smith. Carl Smith, there we go. Um, whomever, whomever it was that told, hey, Deshaun, Hey, we got Duke Johnson. Remember him? And essentially turned us into the team that always turned us into a clone of those Patriots teams that used to drive us up the wall. Yeah. Just those little dump-offs to the uh, running back, and the running back runs forever. I That's pretty much what just sparked our team. Now, there was a lot of creative play calling. I loved the uh, three tight end formation, and I called it out. When they first pulled it out, I was like, hey, James, watch every time they pull that out. And granted, the very first one was a run with Carlos Hyde that did absolutely nothing. And then every other time they pulled out that formation, something good happened. So, yeah, we've got to give the offensive game planning, whomever does the offensive game planning, a lot of credit. Yeah, it sounds like it's a pretty collaborative approach to the game plan. If uh, if Deshaun and Harry J. McCarron are designing the uh, the – <laughs> the the three option, just you know, stand <laughs> up on no paper. Triple option, freaking, uh, you know what a play. You know that that could have gone either way. Um, <laughs> we know that. We know that if you know DeAndre would have gotten hit a uh, second earlier, that this we'd probably be ridiculing and criticizing the play calling. Uh, but you know it worked, and um, it was a great play. Yeah, the three tight end sets. It's nice to have Jordan Thomas back. Uh, obviously, he had a pretty big, pretty key drop on a third down. But, uh, you know, he's just getting in the swing of things. Last year, that wasn't a problem for him. Um, so it, it's not going to be uh, – I, I don't expect that being a problem moving forward. But, yeah, there was a lot of new wrinkles to this play calling. Uh, they took a lot of stuff from what the Ravens did to them. Uh, they did to the Patriots. And I went back, and that same exact play that Dan Orlowski broke down – um, with uh, Darren, the Darren Fells touchdown, that was actually a play that the Ravens ran against the Patriots for a touchdown. Almost the exact same yardage and everything. Um, so, you know, a ton of credit to the offensive game plan and to the, you know, Carl Smith, Tim Kelly, Bill O'Brien, Deshaun Watson, A.J. McCarron, 
uh, everybody that was involved, that, that game plan was exactly how it should look. And uh, it was nice to see new things added um, to the offense. Um, I think, like, the, the play call for me, though, that, like, really stood out on offense outside of that Darren Fells TD was the fact that once, once we hit Fuller for that TD, which it should have been a TD, um, he took three steps, is what it is. The fact that Bill O'Brien had the balls to say, okay, we're going to do it again, and we're just going to switch the personnel up. And, and like, all right, I'll do it again. <laughs> and it worked. Um, you know, that's uh, aggressive. That's how you beat the Patriots is by being aggressive and keeping your foot on their neck, and uh, that's what Bill O'Brien did. It was, uh, it was just very refreshing as a fan to see that um, – what they put in, and then obviously just using Duke. Um, you know, Duke is really a, a very big part of this offense, and and needs to needs to see it. it it's interesting because when you put him in the backfield, um, at that point, you have to put a linebacker on him, and then you just don't know if he's going to run as well. Uh, so he just gives you that that ability to be able to just kind of mix things up on offense. Carlos Hyde does not give that to you, and that's that's why you didn't see a lot of him this week. Um, I wouldn't expect Carlos Hyde to go away. Uh, this was a game plan thing. I expect to see a lot of Carlos Hyde against the Denver Broncos and their 21st-ranked uh, rush defense. But, um, yeah, game ball. Uh, it was a very cool thing to see as well. Like we, I'm sure you watched it, John, of uh, Deshaun Watson giving Bill O'Brien the, the game ball. Um, you know, to me, what that said was outside of um, – just the game itself, but uh, the players knew how important this game was. They knew how important it was to Bill O'Brien. Uh, they knew what it meant to Bill O'Brien to win this game, and the fact that it was Deshaun Watson, the one giving him the ball, making sure that he knew, um, and the excitement that came from the players around it, you know, once the ball was given to Bill O'Brien, uh, he definitely hasn't lost the locker room. Uh, I'm not saying that anybody has reported that. Uh, but, you know, in the off seasons, there tends to be a player or two that are mentioned. I think this last offseason, Ben Farrell, before we signed Cushing as a coach, said that his buddy Brian Cushing hated playing for Bill O'Brien. Well, mm, I'm not sure about that, but he's kind of their assistant coach now, but we'll see. Uh, but, you know, you always get something every offseason, one or two players that say they hated Bill O'Brien. and I, or I, I don't season former players. Yeah, and, and I, 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 I think what it is is, I think players that have been here know what Bill O'Brien wants. I think they know what he expects. Uh, I think he definitely has, like, a rough attitude and approach. But I think they know it comes from a good place. It obviously didn't work with Clowney, right? Um, that's probably one of the issues that they might have had. Uh, but the players in the locker room respect the hell out of Bill O'Brien. And yeah, as a leader of men, that's what you look for. Bill O'Brien, we've kind of talked about it a little bit in the past. The players that love him, love him. Like, you can you can just tell it. The ones that are bought in and on his on his whatever but they are all in for him now the players that dislike him they don't tend to stick around very long and he actually may contribute to that but it's just interesting to watch the ones that are bought in and with him are really bought in and with him yeah yeah, and I think it's good to see. It's a very good emotional video, uh, you know, as a fan, as, you know, with the passion. You know, if you're like us or, you know, and I'm sure a lot of you are where you're watching every press conference and you're following, you know, every day you're 
you're doing what you need to do today. You know, I woke up at 6.50, got Parker on the bus, woke up to put on the All-22 because it was a Sunday night. The All-22 wasn't released until an hour ago, so I had to watch the game regular. But, you know, those are things that we do as fans. And then when you come across videos like this and you see those things, um, it, it's just really cool to see. So, uh, all right. Uh, Deshaun Watson, 18 of 25, 234 yards, three touchdowns, and a receiving touchdown um, on that toss back from DeAndre Hopkins. Um, stats, this is, you know, I'm, we're starting to see a trend in these games where when Deshaun plays really, really good, um, the stat line, the yardage, the, that stuff's not typically there. And I think that's a good thing because you're starting to see that other other players are doing things to help them. You know, when you get an interception by Roby and you take the ball over on the 19, there's not a lot of yardage to drive. But we saw a 88-yard TD drive by Deshaun Watson when we needed to. Um, but all around, Deshaun Watson was fully in control in this game, um, took what the defense gave him, um, he, he had a stellar game, just a, a really good game by Deshaun Watson. I, I told John before kickoff, I was like, look, he's he's dancing. He's having, like, when he is in his mode, there's just nothing you can do to get him out of it. And, you know, I, I was pretty critical of him on the Baltimore game. Uh, but this game, you could say, was probably bigger. 7 o'clock game, Sunday night. Uh, he knows that. His primetime stats are just... Stupid. I think in seven games he's thrown for like 2,200 yards, like 12 TDs, rushed for three. I mean, he's really, really good in prime time. He's 6-2. and two, uh, Maybe he just needs more sleep. Maybe. Well, he said, he said in his press conference that I really like the nighttime games. It gives me more time with family and more time to prepare. Um, so hopefully we don't get another Saturday game because I'm wondering if that's what happened last year. Uh, against the Colts uh, in the playoffs was that we yeah, played Saturday at 3. The early Saturday game that, you know, the Texans fought. Yeah. Hopefully so we don't get that again. We will. I don't you know. You already know we will. We have to. I know we will. We, we have to be playing like the Patriots in the opening round. To, that would be to the only way. That, that would be the only way, and that would be a Sunday night game. That would be the main yeah. game. Um, and But for that to happen, the Chiefs would have to get the number two spot. And... I'm fine with that. I don't mind going to Arrowhead. I'd rather go to Arrowhead than Gillette. We can get into playoff scenarios and stuff like that later, but um, Emma. Um, yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, so, yeah, Deshaun had a great game. Like I said, took what the defense gave him. I, I, don't, I, I was going to ask this. Is this the best game for Deshaun Watson? I'm not going to say it was. Um, it might have been the biggest game from a win perspective, but I don't, it, I don't know if anything's going to top that rookie year game against the Titans? The only thing that I would say is because of the level that the Patriots defense was playing at, to come in there and just absolutely shred them the way that they did, that gets bonus points, even if his stats aren't eye-popping. Granted, again, a lot of it is because we got short fields from the from the defense. Like, the defense was the 12th man on offense this past week, or on Sunday. And made the game easier for them, but Deshaun was the best quarterback on the field, and he was who made our offense go, and when he just, you know, when he uses other players, when it's not just him trying to force feed the ball to Hopkins and Fuller, it's amazing what happens, and I don't know what it is that causes it to just click for him, 
because, again, he just, I don't even want to say he was less ag- aggressive, that I don't even know how to best put it. He was just better. That's all. He was just better when we needed him to be better, and he went out and shredded a very, very good defense. Yeah, Will Fuller makes the biggest difference on, on this team as far as when it comes to Deshaun Watson. When you just look at his stats compared to games with Will Fuller to games without Will Fuller, um, it's a pretty it's pretty significant. I think it's like a one-and-a-half touchdowns, and I think it's like another 60 yards. Um, so, yeah, Will Fuller is... We all know what he does to an opposing defense. I mean, you just have to account for him. There's nothing you can do. And since he's such a great route runner, um, it's it's just amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. I, I really hope this kid can stay healthy for one full season because I, I really I wonder what this offense could truly look like. And I hope I hope this team, given that we were able to fix the secondary in one season, fix the offensive line in one season, there's a Issues on the defensive line, but I'm hoping that in the offseason we could take a, a speed guy in the second round that we could have some sort of insurance policy instead of taking fast guys from practice squads and undrafted guys and maybe get another potential Will Fuller because when he's on the field, it's, the offense is so dynamic. It's able to do so many different things. And when you add Will Duke and the tight ends and Kenny and Deontay, there's just – it's going to be hard for any defense to be able to game plan what you can do. And then you add Carlos Hyde who can run the ball. It's just, it's really incredible the amount of weapons that are on this team. Yeah, no, it really is. And Will Fuller healthy makes all the difference in the world. And just how he was able to just open things up, even when his stat line is an eye-popping. And that's kind of my point. When Deshaun is able to take advantage of his other weapons. We can ha- it just what happens is amazing. Yeah. I agree. All right, let's get to the run game. Because uh, this just wasn't the game to to run the ball. Um, it's probably our least efficient run game um, all year. Not from just a stat perspective, but just in general. But uh, Duke Johnson, nine carries for 36 yards, five receptions for 54 yards and a TD. Um, Car- you know, Duke, we've already talked about him a lot. He, you know, he, he is a big part of this offense. I, I want to say it was Rivers of McCallum that said when you t- if, when Duke Johnson is targeted seven times, the Texans are 5-0. and oh. uh, Well, he was targeted seven times this week. Um, Carlos had 10 rushes for 17 yards. He also had a uh, minor, you know, small reception for like three yards. Uh, this just wasn't that kind of game. Uh, the Pats are, are very good against the, the run, um, and especially like our run isn't like a Baltimore Ravens type run. It's it's not a dynamic run offense. It's um, you know we're gonna we're gonna pound you in the middle. We're gonna get what we can. If Carlos can break one, great. If not, we're gonna bounce Duke outside. Uh, it's not like the Ravens where they can just do every single kind of run possible, um, and then given their quarterback, um, but. Yeah, I mean the run game wasn't wasn't strong, but it was enough. You know, they were able to pick up you know third and ones. I think they picked up three third and ones. They were able to do what they needed to do. Um, it just wasn't one of those games where um, Carlos got over 100 yards and things like that. But yeah, there's Carlos Hyde games, there's Duke Johnson games, and our our rushing stats are going to look 
dramatically different when it's a Duke Johnson game. And this was a Duke Johnson game. I mean, 9 for 36, that's still four yards per carry. That's not horrible. But the difference is the five receptions for 54 yards and a touchdown. When Duke Johnson is involved in the passing game, good things happen. When Duke Johnson runs the ball, good things happen. You use Carlos as a battering ram, and then you use Duke for the chunk plays. And again, the we've kind of talked about it. A bunch of us, or every single person that has analyzed the Texans has pointed this out. This year, this offense has so many weapons that, you know, sometimes we don't have to win on the ground. Sometimes we don't have to win with Hopkins. Sometimes we don't have to win um, throwing the ball to Fuller. We can win with our tight ends and our running backs. And, you know, we did. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to the wide receivers because, uh, you know, everybody was talking about Stephen Gilmore versus DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, now I'm seeing, you know, oh, he only had three receptions or three receptions for 28 yards when – or three targets, two receptions for 28 yards when covered by Stephen Gilmore. Um, whatever. Look, if we wanted to go to Stephen Gilmore or uh, um, to DeAndre Moore, we could have – those slants um, with DeAndre, I saw a tweet earlier today saying that uh, Michael Thomas is the best slant wide receiver in the league, and then Odell Beckham. I don't know, man. Uh, this year, I would. I don't know if you could say that DeAndre Hopkins on a slot on a slant. Sorry, I don't know. Why I kept saying slot uh, on a slant route is pretty much unguardable. I mean, he's shown it all year. Like I said last podcast, I'd love to know how many first downs he's caught for. Because this has to be a lot. Those slants just seem he, he has such a quick get out. Um, so, but he didn't, you know, he didn't have his hundred yard game, touchdown game. Uh, but he was effective, did what he needed to do. Kenny Stills three for sixty one. Uh, obviously, the the touchdown pass. Uh, he made some crucial catches, and then Wolf Omer only had one reception for eight yards. Um, this was a strong, you know, when you have these weapons on the outside. You kind of have to pick your poison as a defense on who you're really going to game plan for because you can't game plan for them all. And they all can do different things. And it's really hard to stop this passing attack when it's going. Yeah, it really is. If if you had read out those stats for our wide receivers, you would have been like, well, we (laughs) we got rolled, right? And... Five for 64 yards against Gilmore is, you know, that's pretty solid. And he also had a touchdown pass. You can't forget about that. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We we won. That's really all that matters because we have more than one player that we have to rely on on offense. Yeah. And Deshaun said it at the end of the the press conference last week against the Colts where he basically said DeAndre isn't – He's not worried about his stats. He's not worried about his yards. He's not worried about his targets. He's not worried about his touchdowns. He's worried about winning. And, you know, he, he said all week that he was, this is the team that he hasn't beat yet. Um, this is the team that he wants to beat. Um, it, it was pretty clear that this was the, the game that the entire Texans locker room had circled. And I don't think any of the wide receivers care about their yardages or yardage or tar, uh, targets. They are just glad they came out with the win. It also, you know, helps when... You have an interception. You have a turnover on downs because they were stopped on fourth and one twice. Uh, the Patriots were. So short yardage, 
Um, all that plays a factor in in, in stats, so you got to keep that in mind. But uh, yeah, it's just hard to game plan for these wide receivers. Uh, let's get to the tight ends. Uh, Darren Fells two for thirty one or two for twenty three, one TD. Uh, Darren Fells is really just he he's been a. I think you could say on offense. This might be tough, but I think you can say on offense he might have been the most important addition in the off season. I think a lot of people will probably say Duke, but because of Darren Fills' blocking and what he brings to this team, given some of the issues with the offensive line, Titus Howard being out, um, he's basically an, an extra offensive lineman, but now he can also catch as well. Um, I think Darren Fills has to be at least 1A or 1B on offseason additions for this team. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. As much as we love Duke Johnson and how efficient we are when Duke Johnson's getting the ball, Darren Fells is always out there. Always out there. And he is that extra offensive lineman. He is that extra wide receiver. He's he's made himself a lot of money this year. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, Jordan Aikens, one reception for 19 yards, and this play was huge. Uh, Jordan Aikens showed off his speed uh, on, a, on a third down. It was uh, a very Im- important play. Uh, basically, he got it at, like, uh, three yards downfield and was able to turn it into a 19-yard play. Um, he continues to show that when he has the ball in his hands from a tight end perspective, he's very dangerous. Uh, Jordan Thomas uh, had one target uh, and one drop pass. Kind of is what it is. Um, like I said, he's still getting up to speed. He hasn't played football all year yet, so I expect to see more Jordan Thomas as we continue to go um, into the playoffs and things like that. All right, uh, no missed kicks, Kaimi. Everybody uh, that wanted to get rid of Kaimi for some strange freaking reason, you guys all thought that Kaimi was an unreliable kicker, even though he's always been a reliable kicker when you give him a good holder. Um, no missed kicks, awesome. Patriots can't say that. They had a missed kick uh, on a – you know, that whole, that, whole, um, that whole thing from the going for two, then getting a delayed game, and then that's so unpatriot-like. That was such an un- unpatriot-like, I don't know why I can't think of the word, but um, I don't know, set of plays. No, that's not it. Series? Yeah, that series. Like, that was just a <laughs> such a weird series. Uh, uh, you don't see that very often. No, you really don't. It's one of the things about this game is we, the Patriots didn't play like the Patriots. They didn't play as disciplined as they usually do. They weren't able... They weren't able to take away our, I guess our best player was Deshaun Watson. They weren't able to take him away. And, you know, it's one of those things that I can't believe it, but I, we got. I think we got into their heads. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, let's get to this defense. Um, John, would it be an overstatement to say that, yes, Bill O'Brien uh, got the game ball, but Maybe Romeo Cornell deserved the game ball for this week. Uh, as you finish that yawn. Yeah, no, no, no. You're absolutely right, and I said it earlier when we were talking about the offense. Part of the reason that our offense looked so great was our defense kept giving them really good field position. Now, we did have that really long drive in the second quarter, but for the most part, we didn't have to drive that far down the field. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, Rack. With what he did on defense this week, 
Um, you know, originally when I saw Gary and Conley was out, I was a little concerned. Um, I was terrified when I saw that Blackson and um, and shoot, Dunn were out. Yeah. And it was one of those, it's like, well, there's all of our, our meat on the defensive line. So I thought the game plan would be just to pound it up the middle against us. And I guess they were afraid of DJ, which, I mean, you should be afraid of DJ. But they are really afraid of DJ. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, DJ was really good, too, this week. I mean, it, it doesn't show because they gave up um, – we gave up a ton of rushing yards, but um, – Those were garbage yards. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they were – you know, they were ripping them early. Like, they weren't ripping, you know, 20-yard runs, but they were ripping five, six, five, six, five, six. But then when they'd run for a six or seven – They'd pass the ball, and then they wouldn't be able to do it. Then it's third down, and they think that they have to pass again. On fourth and one, they passed the ball, and they haven't had success the entire time. It was um, it was a strange game plan by the Patriots. But uh, yeah, I mean, when they were running the ball, they were they were somewhat effective early in the game, and then I don't know. They just were like, no, we're not going to run anymore. That's what they expect us to do. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, Rack was very aggressive early. Lots of blitzes, uh, leaving his corners on islands. Lots of man coverage and pressing. It's something I've been screaming for three years. I'm so happy. Uh, I, at one point in the game, I, I looked at John, and, like, all the corners were pressing, including J. Joe, and I was like, John, look, dude, look. All you're, like, three. me, pointing at me like you're, it's, like, Christmas morning or something. Yes, dude. I was like, all <laughs> corners are pressing. It's crazy. Um, and that's the type of personnel we have in the secondary now, and it's great. It gives you – the ability to do so many different things. Bradley Roby's shown that he could play zone as well, which everybody said was his downfall coming into the season. That that's one of the reasons why he didn't do so well in, in Denver. Um, so yeah, no, Rack Rack called an extremely good game, uh, mixing out coverages. One of the big keys that he did on defense was putting corners on James White um, because they're quick enough to be able to stay with him, and it worked uh, in the first three quarters. If you guys really want to talk about the prevent defense, I saw that on Twitter. People are really upset about the prevent defense. Um, I guess we could talk about it now. Like, look, guys, when you're up over, when you're up three possessions, the only thing you don't want to give up is the big play. You'll give yeah. up everything underneath because you're just killing the clock at that point. If you give up a you'll twenty trade, yard reception, you'll trade yards for time. Exactly, and and that's as long as they're taking time off the clock. That's and so I think a lot of a lot of a lot of fans and Texans Twitter is like, oh my god, prevent defense, prevent defense. We're, they're thinking Saints game. They're thinking Aaron Colvin not lined up, field goal win. No, this is a totally different situation. When you're up three possessions, and there's a total of eight minutes to go, that's the time you play it because if they score quickly, if you play press man in a cover two and one of the corners slips, or uh, they get beat, and you give up a touchdown in eight seconds, well, then this game come is a lot different than if you keep giving up 20-yard passes every every play. And that's why they did it. Now, yes, you know, it got to a point to where an onside kick had they recovered. Look, at that point in the game, if they would have recovered, I was confident that the defense would have stopped them from scoring a touchdown, which is what they needed. Uh, just based on what we saw from the defense that at that point, but um, yeah, prevent defense. You play that at that time. That's just that's kind of what you do. Um, yeah, that's just trying to get the game over as quickly as you can. And you know, we've all had issues with when we've played prevent in the past. But 
like you said, this is when you, you do, when you're actually okay with them scoring. You don't play prevent when you're trying to prevent them from scoring. You play prevent when you're pre- trying to prevent them from scoring quickly and when you're trying to keep them from going out of bounds, essentially. That's when you play prevent. Yep. Uh, all right, red zone defense uh, on the Patriots' first drive. Man, that was a really good series by the defense. Um, you know, we were able to get some pressure to force a, a bad throw from Brady over the middle, over through the tight end. Uh, he threw to Edelman in the right corner. J. Joe deflected it. Um, you know, that was uh, that was just a very good series to force them to kick a field goal instead of getting seven. You know, a lot of times in games where we've played the Patriots or just teams like the Patriots in general. Uh, you know, that opening drive is typically kind of where things start to go downhill, uh, especially with the Patriots in the past. You know, I think of the fumble last year and then the touchdown to Gronk and a fade in the end zone um, on Deshaun's first series. He fumbled, then they got it, boom, boom, touchdown, Gronk. So um, it was good to see that the red zone defense stepped up. It's also just nice to see us have red zone defense. Um but J.J. looked really good just in general in this game. Uh, I think that we need to kind of give him a little bit of credit for what he's done so far this year. He he hasn't been awful. He hasn't been awful one game this entire year. At worst, he's been average. And at times, like on Sunday, he's been elite. He's been a very good corner. And it, it's really nice to see a corner at the age of 35 be able to play at the level that he's playing at right now. And, I, you know, I start to wonder, is it because all these young guys that were brought in? It's like, J. Joe's like, okay, you young you young bucks want to come in here and take my snaps? Hold on. Like, let me show you what I've done for the last 14 years in this league. Um, and then I'm also going to teach you guys a couple things on the way. And, uh, you know, that tends to happen in sports. When, when the young bucks come in, the vets, they start to get a little bit more, and they're like, okay, hold on, i still got some gas in the tank. And uh, JJ's showing us, J. Joe's showing us right now that he has a little bit of gas in the tank, and it's nice to see. Yeah, and part of it, I think, is just because they have reduced his snaps. Um, J. Joe, the knock on him has always been, oh, he's always hurt. But he always played through every single one of those injuries. <laughs> that dude's always banged up, but he was always on the field. And this year, they're able to manage his snaps a little bit better because they've gone out and found a couple of depth guys. And it's made a difference. Yeah. I would argue that that's probably made the biggest difference. When you're older and you don't have that same first step that you used to, not having small little nagging injuries all the time can kind of balance that out. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, all right, so the secondary in general, John, this this secondary group, you know, was missing Gary and Conley, and yet um, the secondary didn't seem to miss a step. I mean, Lonnie Johnson had a couple rookie mistakes, but he was also making plays. Um, you know, Bradley Roby... Bradley Roby needs to be signed. My my biggest concern now, we talked about it a little bit on the way to the game, is I think now with Hargraves, Conley, and Lonnie, I don't know if I expect the Texans to sign Bradley Roby in the offseason because they got Hargraves on the fifth-year option, they got Conley on his fourth year next year, and then he'll have the fifth-year option. Lonnie's in his second year. They could draft another guy. They got Keon Crossan. I don't want to like say they're not because obviously I don't know, but um, I'm just trying to think of how 
if I was a front office GM and I saw our secondary and where it's at now and I look at the players we have and then I look at the future contracts of Tunsil, Fuller, Reeder, Watson, you know, you name them, they're there, Zach Cunningham, it's like, hmm, I don't know if I want to give $15 million a year to Roby when we have these three other guys that could potentially, you know, fill that role. No, you're not wrong, and that's kind of the problem. If Roby is in the Tier 2 group for contracts, I think that he comes back. If he goes up to Tier 1, which is between 15 and 18 a year, then he's gone. And we were saying on the way to the game, or I was saying, and this is what kind of sparked that whole conversation, is we just need to sign Reader right now and Roby right now. Just sign them right now. Don't let them leave the stadium again unless they're under a contract for at least next year. And, yeah, because the way that both of them are continuing to play, I don't know where – we've got a lot of cap space, and we're going to use every single dime of it here shortly. Yeah, the the worst thing that can happen to the Texans as far as regarding Roby is he could he continues to have games that he had on Sunday. Um and when that happens, that tends to lead to a payday. Uh, if he can just have some games where he, he's good, he's effective, but he's not getting interceptions, he's not returning him close to the end zone, he's not doing the flashy stuff, there's a chance that we can get him on that second tier, uh, especially considering he missed four, five games this year. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I really want us to sign Roby. What? It sounds almost like you're you're rooting for your favorite player to not play his best. No, no, no. I am rooting for him to play his best. I just don't I, like if he deflects the pass and it accidentally gets volleyballed to Lonnie Johnson. I would totally be fine with that. <laughs> if every if every time instead of him swatting with one hand, he just puts both hands together like a fist and then just like pops it up like a volleyball, and somebody else gets the pick, I'd be totally fine with it. And then next year he gets his ball out. Um, but <laughs> no, I. I, I, mean, I, I would like to sign Roby. I, I just think that given this team and kind of where it's at and what we have to sign in the future, you know, Larry Matunzel is going to be the highest paid left tackle in the league by a lot. Um, Sean's going to get paid a lot of money. DJ Reader's going to get paid a lot of money. Uh, Zach Cunningham is going to get paid a lot of money, and he should get paid a lot of money. That's going to be the interesting thing to see is if we make a move off of BMAC if Dylan Cole, when Dylan Cole comes back next year and we run with Cunningham and Cole. Um, because I think as effective as BMAC is as an inside linebacker, especially when it comes to the run, um, I think Zach Cunningham might be more of a valuable inside linebacker moving forward. Well, both of them are playing at an elite level right now, so I... I know. I don't... I, I I'd love to how I don't know how G- GM William, William O'Brien is going to make this work. Yeah. Because... We're right now. This is kind of where we've been before. We're on the cusp of having a team that is really, really good. Now they just need to keep them together and not have any significant downgrades anywhere. Yeah. If, if for for two years, if they can do that for two years, that's essentially our window, and I could see us taking that next big step forward. But there's a lot of people that are going to need contracts here shortly. Yeah. Yeah. I think if if. If worst case scenario, if we could just have keep the guys we have now, and maybe sign a Yengakwe or another pass rusher, 
and that be really it, and then sign some depth players and free agency and don't go crazy, I think I'd be okay with that offseason. Because um, I really like this team. I really like the players that we have. I think you need to sign some online depth, but um, we'll have a whole five months to talk about that, so we'll get into that later. Kind of went on a tangent there. Yeah. And I'm surprised at how much I like Hargraves. Uh, I'm not. This is a guy that this is a guy that was a midseason cut, and he is definitely re-energized. And definitely re-energized. This is two games in a row where he's been solid. Yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, and the Bucks are the Bucks are they're a bad team. It's like what? How do you? How do, I, I don't get it, but I'm glad. And here's the thing about our secondary right now, and them doing the this penny stock investing with our secondary players. All the guys that they've picked up are plus-level athletes. And sometimes, especially against a team like the Patriots right now, where they don't have plus-level receivers, that's all you need. They don't have to be the best corners in the world. They just have to be a better athlete than the other guys. And when you have Jordan... I'm sorry. And when you have Justin Reed out there playing center field, that's it. That's all you... All you need, and all of a sudden, our secondary looks ten times better. Yeah, um, you know it's funny because you know if we played a team that had all Julio Jones, I don't know if these corners would hold up. Um, but when you look at the league and and the, the talent levels of the wide receiver groups on each team, um, there's not a lot of teams that are built like us from the wide receiver standpoint. And the corners should be able to match up with almost any team that we run into in the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're playing extremely well. I like our graves a lot. I, I think that, you know, it's a, it's very true when you're a part of a losing culture and um, that's what's in the locker room and that's what you're around and you've never really truly been a part of a winning team. I think it's hard to get motivated on Sunday. And then when you get cut, I think it's like, well, this is also my living and i got to play at a high level. And then you come to a winning team and that's – I think it's just like the perfect recipe. You take the talent of Hargraves – Add them to the winning culture and what we're trying to establish, and then you get what we're what we're getting out of Hargraves right now. So, um, secondary is just in a really good spot. Um, I want to throw these stats out to you because uh, Devin Harvey, my BFF, sent these to me uh, via text, and I thought they were something that we should we should definitely mention because I don't think that anybody expected this to be the case when we uh, were talking about this game. Brady at halftime was seven for twenty on pass attempts. That's freaking nuts. That is nuts. At the, I guarantee you, if I told you, if I told a hundred people that that would be the case going into Sunday, a hundred people would go to bet against me in Vegas. Seven. Oh yeah. For twenty. In the third, then by the third quarter. Prior to their uh, TD to James White, he was 9 for 26. Crazy. Just nuts. This, yeah. this defense did a great job. Our defense got in his head for three quarters. They got into his head. And our offense was able to put up enough points that there was nothing he could do. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. And, again, this is why I'm going to be happy all week. It's funny because this this game had a very eerie – like, the, the feeling of this game was very Patriots-Texans playoff game with Brock Osweiler. The difference is that you don't have Brock Osweiler as your quarterback. You have Deshaun Watson. Because this game, 
in, in that game in general, after the Raiders game, I mean, this is what we did. We, uh, Brady had his worst playoff performance against us that year, and that was without J.J. Watt on the field. That was just Watt. I mean, that was just clowny and merciless. And I think he finished with like a 49% completion rating or maybe 52. It, it was awful. Um, he threw two picks. Um, and this game, he should have thrown four. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It was just uh, – I thought those were interesting stats by Devin. Thanks for sending those to me. Uh, all right, yeah, DJ Reader was a man amongst boys. It's, it's kind of hard to um, really give DJ credit this week because the rush defense just – the run defense wasn't really there. And it's really hard when DJ is the only player on the defensive line that can make the impact needed in, in the run game. Um, no Blackson, uh, no Dunn, who – Dunn plays a big part in the run defense. Um so when your first line of defense on the run defense is just E.J. Reader, I think it's going to be very hard. He was double-teamed a lot. That tends to happen for a nose tackle. But um, a solid game again by D.J. Uh, same stars as normal, D.J., Zach, BMAC. Uh, the D-line, like I said, we need more players for the run defense. Uh, we need to get Brandon Dunn and uh, Angelo Blackson back. Uh, Jacob Martin, starting to come on. John, he's starting to come on, and it's really nice to see. I'd like to see him get uh, a full game of snaps and just be out there on the field opposite of Whitney. Um, that sack that he had was just very quick, just a speed rush, which is something we haven't had on this team in a long time. Even with Clowney, Clowney wasn't a speed rush guy. He was fast, but it wasn't the speed. It was his power. He just always tried to overpower you. Jacob was able to slide underneath the arm, get to Brady, wrap him up. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing from Jacob Martin. I really hope we get to see more of him. Yeah, I mean, granted, this is also part of the reason why they had it. Their game plan should have just been run at Martin every time he was on the field. Martin is a fan, is going to be a fantastic situational pass rusher, full time defensive end. Uh, maybe quite, not quite, but when you need a solid pass rusher, like he's. I wouldn't be surprised if two years from now, even with when Duke Edgefor is back healthy and with Charles Menehue, how much I'm sure he's going to improve, because remember, this was just his rookie year, and he's doing great, that we're going to say Martin is our best pure rusher. Um, granted, I can't forget about J.J., so we'll see. We'll get to Hopefully that. Hopefully J.J.'s still playing. But I would willing would be willing to say that in about two years, two to three years, that that's what we're going to talk about. When we just need somebody to go out and generate pressure in a hurry, it's going to be Martin. Yeah. Yep. Now, I don't know what he can do to not be a li- – he doesn't even have to be solid at run defense. He just needs to not be a liability out there to get more snaps, and I don't really know what he can do to do so, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a full offseason with the team will help, um, you know, working with uh, Anthony Weaver and uh, the linebackers coach. Who's our linebackers coach now? What's his name? I always forget Hey. Isn't it Pagano? Yeah, Pagano. That's right. Um, all right. Uh, I, I thought Justin Reed had his best game of the season this week. He looked like he was very engaged on the field. He was kind of flying all around, uh, playing center field, looked really good, looked very engaged, really good hits, uh, wrapping up on tackles, was in the right spot in uh, coverage. Um it was really nice to see Gippy and, and, and Justin Reed. It was nice to see Gibson uh, get on to some players um, 
and, and kind of let them know, like, hey, we got to step up. Uh, you don't see that a lot, and it's nice to have that veteran voice um, on the sideline when you need it. Yeah, Gibson looks like he's finally, oh, I don't want to say healthy, but he looks the healthiest he's been in, it feels like months now. I think since week one. And when he, yeah, and world of difference. When he's healthy, him and Reed are a fantastic duo out there. But, man, it, I just, I, I'm not going to get over how good of a game Reed had, like, the, the middle of our defense between McKinney, Cunningham, and Reed is what allowed our defense to – and starting with Reeder is what really allowed our defense to shine. Like It was almost like a, that whole baseball adage, if you're solid up the middle, you're going to be okay. And that's exactly how the Texans' defense played on Sunday night, just solid up the middle. And – that made everybody better. And Roby having the game of his life, plus Reed just literally leveling up out there on the field. Like, what can you do? Yeah. All right. Um, this defense could have had four more interceptions. Um, just kind of crazy to think about. Uh, let's get to the low lights. So on offense, uh, penalties, again, uh, tends to be a trend with this team. Um, they always come at the wrong time. Uh, I don't know if I would call that Mingo play a penalty, even though that's the defense, not the offense. I, I, uh, if, I, if, I, if that was anybody, if that was any other team but the Patriots, I don't think you get that call. Uh, but it's what it is. But yeah, Tunsil, uh, Sharping had a penalty. Um, the offense, just in general, just you know, they had their typical penalties, uh, drive killers at that point. Uh, slow start on the first couple drives um, again. Uh, it wasn't a complete game, but, God, this was as close to a complete game as we've seen this year, and it couldn't have come at a better time. Um, but still uh, only three points on their opening drives um, this season so far. So, um, And then the lack of the run game, I guess I would say, is probably the only thing on offense. Anything else to add on the low lights of the offense? No. <laughs> I mean, the offense did exactly what they needed to do. Nobody had an amazing um, game stat-wise, but that's perfectly fine. I think, though, maybe one more thing is, uh, you know, Deshaun, on one of his sacks, did his whole step to the side to try to avoid the sack and then ended up getting sacked. I'd really like for him to just throw that away. Um, like, especially when they're coming up the middle at him. Uh, you know, if they're coming around on the side... Uh, I, I think that that works out better for him. But when they're rushing up the middle and coming at him, I really don't like that sidestep hoping that they, he can make a miss. It tends to not work out. And if he could just throw it away, we, would just, we wouldn't lose yards. Uh, but outside of that, that's just me being picky. All right, um, defense, run defense, we already talked about that. I guess really the biggest thing is the lack of pass rush. Brady had an average of 6.1 seconds to throw. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, the, the sacks that we had outside of the Chicken Martin sack, a lot of them, or quarterback hits that we had, which there were a couple, there were quite a bit, um, had to do with the fact that we just could cover. Um, those were coverage hits and coverage sacks. It was uh, it was nice to see. I, honestly, John, I don't know the last time that I've, we've said that, you know, those are coverage sacks for this team. I'm, I'm trying to think, and I honestly don't know in the last three years if that's been something that, even with Bouye, J. Joe, 
Uh, I can't say that we've ever that's ever been a term that we've used because we've had Clowney Merck, we've had Watt, you know, that's just that hasn't been a term thrown around in the Texans land and uh, something we got to get used no. to, I think. Yeah, I mean, when we have a healthy healthy Watt and Clowney back in the day, there's no way that there would ever be six seconds to throw. So it's just it's a different it's a different team. Uh, they have to generate pressure in unique ways. Um, I mean, we still ended up with four sacks, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, it's just I, we're now we've been spoiled for so long on pass rush that we're just now a mortal or an average team on it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so summary. Um, I don't know if we need to get into a summary. It was a huge win. Um, I really hope this is a win that we build off of. Um, I really hope that this is like the start of something for this team. It's the right time to do it, given the the remaining schedule. Uh, the Titans are a little bit more scary than what they looked like six weeks ago, but still with Broncos, Bucks, and two Titans games, um, I don't think there's any reason to think that this team can't win out. Um, but it, it kind of brings us back to will this team win out? And if they do win out, you know, there's a chance that they could get a bye. Um, the Patriots have two games. I'm trying to think of the Chiefs this week and then the Bills. If yep. if the Patriots were to lose those two games and we were to win out, we would get the number two seed by Number two seed by Um which, for historical purposes, uh, it's the last nine teams that have won the Super Bowl have had a bye, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's pretty... I think the last time that a team that didn't have the bye won the Super Bowl was the uh, the, the Giants. Against uh, the Patriots, yeah. Yep. Um, so, and I think that was 2009. So 2000, yeah, 2009, 2010. Um, so it's pretty significant to get a bye if you want to be a contender and you want to be able to play for for uh, a Super Bowl on Sunday. Um, so things have to happen for the bye to, to be a thing. Uh, I, I do think that the Patriots could lose to the Chiefs. Uh, the only thing I will say is as average of as average as that Patriots offense is, um, that Chiefs defense is that much worse. So while everybody's clamoring for more weapons for Brady, um, this week might be the get-right game for the Patriots because that Chiefs defense is awful. Um, but the Bills, I think the Bills could beat the Patriots. I really do. That Bills defense is really good. That coaching staff, that organization, they're doing everything you want to see a team. They are doing exactly what the Browns should have been doing to this point. Um the Browns have all the talent on defense to be a very good defense, and yet they are not. Add to the fact they also have a great offensive uh, offensive weapons, and they can't put it together. You look over at Buffalo, great defense, great corners, good pass rush, great linebackers, and then uh, a second-year quarterback who's getting better. You're seeing him get better. They're building the scheme around him. They added some weapons, but they still don't really have any in there, and yet they're still winning games. Uh, I think it'd be really, really cool to see the Bills beat the Patriots, um, and I think it can happen. So we'll need to see kind of how things happen. We'll know this Sunday if the, if the Patriots lose to the Chiefs, then there's a good chance. If they don't, then uh, you guys can pretty much kiss the bye goodbye. All right, I want to talk about this, John. 
Is this the biggest win in the B.O.B. era? Potentially. Potentially. Tell me more. If it if it springboards us to to actually having success in the playoffs this year, then yes. If this is our biggest win of the season, then no. Because it it's one of those, it's fun, it's, we're very happy that it happened, um, and I wouldn't give it up, but if it ends up being the same old, same old, we get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, then it really can't be the biggest win in, his, in the air because it didn't really lead to anything. That's, at this point, the biggest wins in the air is probably... I don't know, it's still probably the Bengals win when we won the South. And just because we won the South. And we're back-to-back times because we actually won something. And at that time, like, winning stuff for us is relatively uncommon to win anything. But I would like to think that since Bill O'Brien's been here that our expectations have been raised a little bit. And winning the South is not the... Not it. Going to the playoffs and actually getting something done in the playoffs is what our goals are. And while I do not expect us to be a Super Bowl contender, us being a divisional round speed bump is not acceptable either. And this win, if it turns to be one of those catalyst type wins, you know, where they talk about teams just going on these runs, if that's us and we make a run and we make it to the AFC championship, I would say this is definitely the biggest win. Now, if we don't, then then it's probably debatable, and I'll I'll definitely listen to other people's opinions on it. But to me, like for it to be the biggest win, is it has to win something. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. I don't think there's anything else I could really say about that. Um, you're 100% correct. That's exactly how this could be the biggest win in the Bill O'Brien era. Um, all right. What does this mean moving forward, though? And I guess you pretty much answered that. So let me ask you this. Do you think there's anything to B.O.B. gaining the confidence needed to build on this win and make this team a contender in the playoffs? Do you think that that possibly opened up Bill O'Brien's brain a little bit? I hope so. Do you think that there's a chance that that, that could be the fact? Like that, that could be the I, I feel like we've I feel like we've had this conversation before, where we've gone out and there's times where, again, we the Texans are a very very bipolar team. There has been times, specifically like this game, where the team plays in a way that is almost not even recognizable compared to other games throughout the season. Now. I don't know exactly why. I would give anything to get into Bill O'Brien's head. I would give anything to really have somebody do another in-depth article on the Texans because it's been years since we've really had one. And because at this point, it's all speculation. Um, It feels like we have better games when the playbook is opened up and they experiment a little bit more. And that's almost, we've talked about that in the past, like that's been a hallmark of Bill O'Brien's coaching tenures. When he actually game plans a game to win it, 
they, even when it's sometimes been out of desperation, the offense always looks better. And I do, and I've said it many, many times, and I'm sure if you're a regular listener, you're tired of he- hearing me say it. I do like, I do, I used to love, but the core central philosophy of Bill O'Brien's offense is they don't run a lot of plays, but they run them very well, and they run them out of different looks. So they're just, if they're able to execute a few things a lot better than a lot of things poorly, then they're more efficient. That's essentially what the Patriots do. The offense isn't as crazy complicated as people seem to make it sound. They put routes in there that are capable of being either zone beaters or man beaters, depending on what the defense is playing, and the receivers and the quarterback just have to react to that. But sometimes I think that every quarterback we've had with Bill O'Brien, that slows them down. Whereas when we go out there and we script these more unique plays, these more instinct plays, like the option plays with three tight ends, um, we go out and we seem to execute those a little bit better because they just go out and execute them instead of think. I don't know. That was a long rant to come right back around to. No, but it was good. When when they play, it's almost like when they play scripted, they play better than when he wants them to play loose, which is the exact opposite which is the exact opposite of what I think his offensive philosophy means to do. But that seems to be what happens. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, you know, Bill O'Brien, what we've seen in big games in the past is just that he tends to choke up a little bit, uh, tend to give a little conservative, um, doesn't open up that secret playbook of his. Um, and... He tends to overthink things. He lets the other coach basically get in his head. And uh, he doubts himself and doesn't do what he knows he should do. He kind of goes um, a little overboard. And when he overthinks, it just turns out to be a mistake. This week, that was the exact opposite. It's like he was confident in what he was doing. He had an understanding on what it was going to take to beat this team. Um and he executed, and he, he you know, I, I gave him shit last week for giving uh, the team off, um, you know, until Monday, giving him another three days off after the Thursday game, and yet, you know, I wonder, you know, was those three days spent building the game plan? You know, was that him and the offensive coordinator saying, okay, we don't need the players here because we need to put this together, and then we need to implement it with them? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, um, but, you know, I, I think that he I I do think that there's a good chance that this unlocks Bill O'Brien's brain. I think this gives him confidence and it's just a thing in life, right? When you when you do things well and you 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 see the success from it, you tend to build on those things just in general. And I think as a coach it's one of those things as well. And even though we're on the 6 year, you know, a lot of you guys are like, "Well, what the hell? Like what have we done so far?" I agree. Um but I think at this point it's like, "Okay, if he was able to unlock that piece of his brain and able to build on this, this is the win to do it. Um, this isn't a Super Bowl win, just to put this game into perspective. This was just a really big regular season win. He has to do it in the playoffs for there to be true confidence. And I don't mean that he has to go in and win and make a huge run. If we run into the Ravens in the second round, it's going to be really hard to do. But if he is at least competitive and we don't get blown out of the water and he does some different things that makes this team think and build on what we've done in the past, I'll feel comfortable with Bill O'Brien coming back next week. And 
How we finish the season is going to be a very big part of this, too. The two Titans games are going to be very big games. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the, at the last game at the end of the season ends up being for the division. There's a good chance that that's the case. Um, so with that being said, though, I do think that I think there's a chance that he's turned the corner. and um, that, that takes a lot for me to say that because I was really down on him for a while the last four weeks. But um, a win like that, I told you guys there was a good chance that that would be the case if they could pull it off. And not only did he pull it off, but he pulled it off in a very – um, he, he forced his will on the Patriots, and he flexed on them, and he showed what he was capable of doing and what this team is capable of doing. And, um, you know, maybe we're a little 12 weeks late into this, uh, but it's better late than never, and I'm glad that he did. So, uh, all right, let's get uh, on to the news, the news of the week, the biggest news of the week. J.J. Watt is likely to be moved off of IR and back on the active roster in the playoffs. <laughs> Part of me thinks that this could be the greatest thing ever. Part of me is like, oh, God, please don't make it worse. <laughs> it's one of those, if he comes back and he's cleared, and he's even cleared at 90% of J.J. Watt, and we're able to add a pass rush to this, new and improved secondary in the playoffs, like, watch out. Like, absolutely watch out. However, J.J. is not exactly known for um, coming back with the proper amount of healing. Um, he's messed up his back and cost himself a season by pushing himself too hard to come back. So that's still in my head. It doesn't really matter because if he does come back for the playoffs and he busts and he further tears it, it doesn't change anything. He'd still be ready for the beginning of the next season. But, I don't know. Part of me is just terrified of him coming out there and just looking completely ineffective. However, if you are rewatching the game, like I didn't realize this while we were at the game, he is bouncing around and hitting people on the sideline. I, when you watch the television broadcast because of course you, they, the cameras always have to find JJ and, but he is bouncing around and hitting people so if he didn't re-injure himself after this game he's probably fine here's a, here's one thing John that uh, after we had this conversation on the way there that started to make me think um, a little bit more about this you know JJ at this time still leads the league in quarterback hits and pressures um, you know I gave him a ton of shit for that because Clowney was very similar last year and the years before, and, you know, nobody was clamoring for, for Jadavian. We're in the past. We're moving forward. Um, I will say this. With the way that the secondary is playing right now, if that secondary was playing at the level that they were playing when J.J. was on the field, a lot of those hits, a lot of those pressures would have turned into sacks. Oh yeah. So if you add those two together this sheet in the playoffs, and you're able to get JJ Watt back at what JJ Watt was earlier in the season, I don't know if that's possible. It might be, um, but if you can, if you can get JJ Watt back at that playing at that level, and you add this secondary, and they're able to cover the way that they've been covering, this could be a recipe for disaster for opposing offenses because. 
that's the best compliment to a pass rush, and that's the best compliment to a secondary. And like I said, he, he there's a reason why he was leading the league in pressures and hits. He was getting there. He just wasn't finishing. But that was because our secondary couldn't cover. Well, now our secondary can cover. So it's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't want to say this could be a true game changer for us in the playoffs if that is the case. But I think it's kind of hard to ignore the fact that when you add those I'd two... I'd say 90... I mean, 80 to 90% of J.J. coming in as just a pass rush specialist, essentially in the role that Martin's in, and you have them complement each other, J.J. inside and Martin on the outside, hell yeah, that's a game changer. <laughs> that is absolutely watch out. I mean... Well, then you add the secondary that, to those two. Yeah. With the second, I mean, the secondary is kind of the key. The the scary part is if J.J.'s rushing himself back and he's not even 80% of himself, if he's like 20% of himself. That's what's, that's what's scary. And, again, love J.J. Uh, when I talk to my wife about the news, she's like, that's the most excited I've seen you in months. And I'm like... But the ideal of it, of J.J. healthy to go with this secondary in the playoffs, like, Watson could have an off game and would be okay. I, Depending on who we play, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that would be amazing. So we'll see. And again, we hope. But that that would that would be movie like JJ coming back and us playing at a high level and going on a playoff run. Part I'm surprised this isn't the route that you took. That of like of course JJ always looking for the camera. Of course Jesus Watt always looking for the camera. This is the greatest made-for-TV movie ever. But it really would be. Um, I didn't notice JJ on, on the... I, I, I'm so oblivious to that stuff now when it comes to him that I just don't really pay attention to it. I've probably, have you gotten all the hate out? <laughs> I don't have hate. I just It's just annoying <laughs> that we have an all-star <laughs> Pro Bowl, all-pro quarterback, and yet our white defensive end is the face of the franchise. So until that changes and we realize that we should be marketing our black quarterback, um, that'll be the way I feel. But um, all right. Uh, all right. AFC South update. Titans manhandle the Colts. Jags lay an egg against the Bucks. Back to Gardner Minchu for the remainder of the season. Jags season is over. Colts season is over. I guess technically the cold season is over, isn't over, but it's pretty much over uh, if the Titans continue to play the way they will, they are, and I think they will. Um, Titans are seven five, uh, Texans are eight and four, Colts are six and six. Uh, it's the division for the Texans to lose. They have everything that they need to continue to apply pressure to everybody else in the AFC South. Um, the Titans, I think, still have the Saints. I believe. Let me pull up. They do. They do have the Saints, right? Yeah. I think they have the Saints and the Jags one more time. Let's see here. Uh, they go Raiders, Texans, Saints, Texans. They could lose that Raiders game. I know they looked awful against there, but they could bounce back. Um, so they they'll they'll likely lose that that Saints game. Um, but yeah. Uh, so that's your AFC South update. All right, let's get to questions from the listeners. Uh, we, we have one really good one that I wanted to talk about because it was funny because you and I actually talked about it a little bit on the way that the game, as as most of this podcast has happened during 
the to the game. But uh, Nacho Debro asks, do you think Wes Walker moving to San Francisco hurt Kiki QT's development? I think this is very interesting. I think this is something that uh, you don't hear a lot. Um, you don't hear anybody bring up and talk about. You know, Wes Walker was his biggest advocate, obviously Texas Tech alum. Uh, he was the one that wanted to draft Kiki. Kiki had a lot of success as Wes Walker as a, the wide receivers coach or assistant wide receivers coach. Um, I, th- I, th- I honestly don't think that you can argue that Wes Walker moving on isn't hurting Kiki. It is hurting I, Kiki. Yeah. I mean, the proof is already there. I think that Wes Welker understood Kiki and understood how to how to teach him. And this is absolutely not today, bro. Part of me is like, did you have have my truck bugged? Because we had this conversation on the way to, to the uh, to the stadium. That yeah, that's probably been the biggest thing hurting Kiki. They both played the same position, um, and essentially a slot receiver on an air raid offense at Texas Tech. And then they both played in the same offense in the NFL, and Welker was able to teach Kiki in a way that was able to stick. And without Welker there, maybe Kiki isn't getting as much one-on-one and is struggling with the details when he's trying to learn it as part of the group, because I'm sure that he got a lot of one-on-one time with Welker, and he just doesn't have that anymore. He doesn't have that advocate anymore. The other receiver... The special assistant receiver is Andre Johnson, who's a completely different receiver than Kiki. So, yeah, I definitely think that it's played a huge factor. And if there was a team that I would look to trade Kiki to, it would be the Niners, um, partly because of that. But, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunate, but, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I don't want to get into the Broncos because I hate them and they're a shit team. But I will say this. Um, if the Texans decide to look past the Broncos and look on to the Titans, this could technically be a trap game. Um, but I think this will be one of those games where we just run the ball heavy. Deshaun has 190 yards, maybe a TD. Carlos Hyde has a good game. Defense shows up, and I think we just kind of take it and go on. Um, it is a home game, so we're not playing in Denver, which is a big difference. Um, especially when it comes to Denver in general, uh, given the altitude and things like that. But um, I expect the Texans to go into, uh, go and beat the Denver Broncos and energy on Sunday. Tickets are really cheap again, John, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> it's the Battle Red game, my favorite Sunday of the year. I love the Battle Red jerseys. Granted, these uh, these all-blue color rushes my favorite. Are, that are probably now my favorite because we down. can't lose in those. And it feels like we always lose in the battle red. I just love the way they look. The uh, blue? Yeah. Oh, it's a color rush. My yeah. favorite jersey. I never wear my jersey, but I love it. The uh, battle red with blue pants. I wish I'd wear that combo more because I think that one's awesome. And I don't know why we're, this isn't an off-season podcast, so I don't know why we're <laughs> talking about uniforms. Um, other than the fact that whenever it's a battle red game, I'm always terrified because it's bad juju because... You know, we've had bad luck, but the past two years we've won our Battle Red games, and the Broncos are a team that we should smash. Um, Previous years we had talked about how Rack usually will just absolutely fuck with the mind of a rookie quarterback. That's going to happen. And 
Drew Locke, Drew Locke, I can't say Locke, I don't know why, is absolutely a head case. He played a quarterback at Mizzou, huge arm. He's a cockier cutler. <laughs> I mean, that's, and I mean it when I say a cockier cutler. And, I, and Cutler's the infamous do not care, super cocky. Locke is a, a frat boy version of that. So, yeah, he's uh, exactly what that sounds like. And us here in Texas probably most famously remember him because he had that backpack dance that he would do after he threw a touchdown where he pretended to put a backpack on. And then Tom Herman kind of did it mockingly back, and everybody talked about that for like two days, that Tom Herman was being a douche. So, yeah, that's all you really need to know about him. Huge arm. Head case. Rack should do a number on him. Sweet. All right. Uh, John, we're at almost an hour and 30 minutes. What else do we have to discuss? I think we pretty much hit on everything. I hope we hit on everything because I'm tired. Yeah, me too. All right, guys. Uh, you know where to find us. You can find us on all podcast platforms. The outro will take care of the rest. I'm Young Ari Gold signing off for Texans Unfiltered. We will catch you guys next week. Loved this episode of Texans Unfiltered? We'd love for you to be a Patreon supporter. Your support allows us to provide you with the best Texans podcast possible. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HoustonFBPod and everywhere podcasts can be found. And join our community on www.texansunfiltered.com or on Discord at Texans Unfiltered. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Yeah.